Good morning, everyone. Welcome to First Christian Church. I'm very glad you're with us. If you're here in the West Auditorium, welcome to everybody in the East Auditorium. It's just over there. We've got a great crowd over there today. And everybody joining us online. Can I just say it is really good to see your face? It is really good to see you. And uh, uh, the year called 2020, it will be forever indelibly imprinted on my memory as, man, I missed everybody. But if you're with us today and you're able to be in the building, welcome. And uh, for those of st- uh, you who are online, Man, thanks for being part of this community called First Christian Church. If you have never met, if we've never met before, my name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team. We're going to spend some time together today looking at the book of Acts. If you'll take your Bible, please, and turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16. Maybe you can grab it on a smartphone. And uh, if you're online, you'll notice there's a tab there called, it says Bible, and you can find Acts chapter 16 right there, okay? While you're looking for Acts 16, um, something that has my attention of late, just because I'm, I'm thinking because I'm, I'm not 20 years old anymore, is that I watch people's lives and I see how people's lives have had to change over periods of, you know, months, years, decades, as a matter of fact, and um, some of the ways in which people have one vocation, one portion of their life, and they have a separate one and then a, a third one, perhaps, and some vocational sh- settings shift over a period of time, and um, like... My first desk job was working for the university where Leslie and I attended, Oral Roberts University in Oklahoma. And uh, my job was to contact, uh, it's a Christian college, and so my job was to contact congregations across the country. And it's a long story, but once the contact was made, then I was to um, transcribe, on the, uh, actually on the phone, what had taken place and transcribe a letter that was to go from the university pardon me, out to, the, um, out to that congregation. And um, we, we, we'd just transcribe on, on the phone, and there was a way across campus, there was this large room of um, primarily ladies in a typing pool. Now, we don't have typing pools anymore, and um, they, 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 would, they spent long hours listening to our very poor grammar skills, and, um, and then they would edit all that, and then a couple days later, a letter on letterhead would appear on my desk, and it was my responsibility then to sign it and to put it in the mail. And uh, typing pools, I don't know that they're in existence anymore. Does anyone know of a place where that has a typing pool any longer, where you just go, okay, there's all the people who do the typing, and they're all there together. Um, uh, computers have all but eliminated, eliminated that profession. Or here's another profession that's no longer necessary, um, and that is um, back in the days of the Industrial Revolution, um, workers had to be in factories um, by the beginning of their shift. And this was different than, than when, when it was rural, people got up when the sun got up and they worked during the day. But once the Industrial Revolution came along and the factories could make more money if they went to multiple shifts and everything. But the problem was, how were people going to wake up and be at work on time given that alarm clocks, not everybody could afford an alarm clock, and the alarm clocks that were around were very expensive. And so... Uh, there were humans who actually had a job description where they would go and wake people up. And they would have a, a, like a long stick and they would tap on people's windows if they were on the second floor. They would often made of bamboo. Um, they would um, have things like um, uh, things they would dig on the, on the doors and th- like, I mean, they would bang on the doors. Uh, the lady on the right there that you see, she was famous. Uh, that photo is from the, from the early 20th century. She was famous because she would have dried peas, and she would shoot them at the window. Now, (laughs) 
Times have changed and that profession is gone. In fact, can I help you smile just a little bit today, okay, beyond the profession? Uh, because not only is the profession gone, but the language has shifted just a bit, at least in our country. Um, and I've, <laughs> I've debated all week long whether I should tell you this. Really, and the general rule of thumb is for a preacher, if you're debating whether or not to tell the congregation, don't tell them. <laughs> but do you want me to tell you? Yes. You sure? Yes. Do, you know what, do you know what these, what this profession was called at the top of the job description? A knocker-upper. <laughs> now, don't be offended. Just smile and say, man, life changes, doesn't it? Life changes. There's not a great demand for, I'm not even going to say it again. <laughs> There's not a great demand for people doing that anymore, okay? It's not a great demand for somebody making buggy whips. There's no, you know, you can't go to Millican University and say, I want to major in buggy whip making. Or, um, or, um, <laughs> Oh, here's another profession that's gone awry or away. Uh, my name is Wayne, and I've got to talk to my parents about this one time, sometime in the future, about why did they name me Wayne? I mean, people name their, I'm the firstborn. You'd think that they would really pay attention to, what's the meaning of this name? You know, like, you, some people have these names that have, they're righteous, they're sword bearer, they're, um, they're virtuous, or they're the defender of the gray fortress. Doesn't that sound lovely? I'm the defender of the gray fortress. You know who's, what name that is? That's Leslie's name. How'd you end up with that, honey? And, and you know what my name is? Wagon wheel. <laughs> wagon wheel. It's not even, sometimes it's wagon wheel maker, but it's just wagon wheel. I'm going, what's with that? Any wonder there aren't a lot of people named Wayne. Anyway, so that, that wagon wheel makers have disappeared, as, as has... Um, bowling alley attendants. There's not a lot of those around anymore. Or um, here's one, VCR machine repair technicians. <laughs> you've, got all the VC, you've got all the videos, right? We've been moving. We're about to move in the next week or so. And we have these videos. That I, bless the, the garbage guys when they come this week. They're going to get a lot of those. <laughs> See what they do with them. You get the idea. Change has come to those professions. Change has come to you. And um, change is coming to our church. And I'm not just referring to the fact that we're going to be shifting lead pastoral roles in the next few months in June of next year as I retire and Pastor Brian takes over. No. Beyond all of that, I, if you're new to our church, you need to know that change is part of our DNA here, and we, we, we do this with regularly. What, what does this mean, everybody? We embrace change. And so what we are doing is we are looking at embracing change again today as part of our core value series, uh, this foundations. These are matters of our church life that form how we work together. Uh, you can think of it this way. If you want to, these are the bookends of how, how do we do life, how do we do ministry, how do we think, how do we pray, how do we plan. We have four core values around here. Uh, and the first three sound spiritual, and the last one not so much, but in fact, the last one is very spiritual. And that is that we respond to God's Word, we encounter the Holy Spirit, we're really interested in what's happening in the community and this community, and then to make all that happen and do it right, we embrace change. And... Um, so as we talk about change today, let's perhaps start by asking ourselves, what does Scripture say about change? Because the Bible shows all kinds of stories of individuals and nations and peoples and groups 
It shows the story of change and growth and development. It speaks of seasons changing and, you know, one chapter, one life, one adventure coming to an end so there'd be a new season, a new chapter, a new life, a new adventure. And um, I've told you perhaps this in the past regarding my role here as lead pastor. Even as I arrived here in January of 1994, I knew that there was going to be an end date when I would not be the pastor of First Christian Church. Change is going to come. I'm pastor number 44. There have been 43 people who had this role before I did over the last 187 years. And in fact, as I think about it, though I've been here more than 27 years, my role here is, in fact, temporary. I am an interim lead pastor. Whatever job you have, you are there on an interim basis. And all of our settings in life are interim. And so how do we manage that accordingly to what the Bible has to say. Because Scripture points out that God is constantly moving, constantly calling us into new things. It says that God changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise. He gives knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. And he's always got life moving forward. As a matter of fact, the prophet Isaiah records, uh, records God as saying, Forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. As a matter of fact, God would say to you today, I'm doing a new thing. And if, if you watch and, and take a look around, you'll see that it's springing up within you and around you. And even if life feels like it's, you're in a wilderness or in a wasteland, there's going to be a way through the wilderness and there's going to be a stream in the desert. There's a story in Scripture that always grabs my attention when I think about change. It's um, the Apostle Paul. Perhaps you're not familiar with Scripture, but we have Jesus coming, doing ministry. He dies. He rises again. And uh, within a period of time, uh, a few years, the leader of the um, developing church in terms of its theology and understanding of mission is a fellow by the name of Paul. And so he would travel around the Mediterranean basin and evangelize. And so on his second big trip, he goes into what we would consider modern-day Turkey and Greece. And in fact, that is not the trip he had planned. If you look at the map, he had planned to go up north, from Jerusalem on the lower right up to Antioch, and then way up north, way north of where you see that word Galatia, into an area of the world at that time known as Bithynia. But he didn't get there. And what's fascinating is the reason he didn't get there is that God instituted a change in plans and direction and implementation. So here's what the scripture says, and then we'll come back to the map again in just a moment. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. In other words, we had planned to go north, but God said, mm -mm, I want you to change your plans. When they came to the border of Mycenae, when they tried to enter Bithynia, the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Messiah and went down to Troas. So make note of that name, Troas, because you're going to see it on the map. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia, come across the water and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave from Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so... This is the ultimate embrace change moment. So they, they make their way up to Antioch, and then they're going to go north. And it says that the Spirit of God wouldn't let them go up there. 
So they go over, and it says they made their way over to Troas, and then went across the sea into Macedonia, what we would call modern-day Greece. It's the ultimate embrace change moment. The goal is still in place. The goal of this team has always been to proclaim Jesus Christ. Paul and his team knew that that was their responsibility. The goal wasn't changed, just the method and the place. The Holy Spirit changed the ministry landing spot, not the ministry goal. And that's important for us as a church that's on mission like we are. We have God's call on our life together, but we cannot stick to one method or one way of accomplishing God's goal. It plays out in a lot of ways. Think about how it played out in COVID during 2020. Once we got back together and began gathering, and I know many of you weren't able to be with us and some still can't, I get that. But we, up until that time, there'd been the habit of this church to have communion virtually every Sunday, and uh, usually we'd pass trays, and um, from time to time, seriously, people would say to me, could, could we do something so that I don't see somebody do this at, at the, at when the bread is being passed? And, and I've always said, well, surely people aren't doing that. Well, nonetheless, we get to COVID, and we had to go to these things, right? And for some people, I wonder if this approach seems heretical. You go, well, aren't we supposed to share and, and do communion together? And this is anything but together, right? And, and some would say, we've never done it this way before, and we, we're not, we're not going to do it this way. But can I tell you, there's no indication at all that Jesus did at the Last Supper did it the way in which we've done it typically with passing trays. And I suspect there have been many ways that this church has over 187 years managed to get a cup and some bread in the hands of the people of the church throughout generations. And this one is just the latest. As a matter of fact, it's indicative of what we believe here at First Christian Church, that we push against traditions that might have been helpful 20 years ago, 10 years ago, 80 years ago, or traditions that might have been helpful even last month. If they lose their effectiveness... In reaching our mission goal, then we say, that tradition needs to go. What do we do? We embrace change. First, we don't use this sort of language. We never say, we've always done it this way. Oh, we're never doing it that way. You never know. We'll try something. And you've heard me say, we're going to try this for, for three months, for six months, and if it works, it does. If it doesn't, we'll switch again. And I would suggest that we can do the same in our own lives. And perhaps each of us as individuals and all of us as a congregation need to intentionally embrace change. Because if we don't focus on how we're going to do this, change is going to come to us passively, and we're going to be kind of shocked by it and not ready. So in an effort to manage change, if you will, I have some ideas from the Scriptures that would help us to be intentional about saying, okay, if change is coming to my life, if change is coming to my church, two different things, I know, but across the board, if change is coming, how am I going to get my arms around this? How sh- what are some steps from the Bible that, in which I can manage this? First of all, start with prayer. It's always the beginning point for you and me, for our church. If we want God's direction for our church, we always pray. You may recall in 2011, those who were back around, we sort of had this moment where we go, we don't know exactly what's coming in the days ahead. So we asked you to pray for 11 months. We had 11 months of prayer in 2011, and it was profound what happened. Or, um, as a matter of fact, as a congregation right now, we're setting up a season of prayer for the coming months um, because with the transition that's coming, 
The elder team is inviting you to join us in prayer each third Wednesday of each month between now and the end of the year. And the focus is to intentionally embrace the pastoral leadership change that's coming in 2022. In other words, let's just not say, well, it's coming and we're going to, good luck. Let's pray about it and figure out how this is going to work. So I'm inviting you the third Wednesday of each month between now and Christmas to pray with us. We can pray at six o'clock in the morning in the building. We can pray at noon in the building. We'll have another gathering at six in the evening. You can pray at home. You can pray at other times, of course. Those of us will be here at noon. I think many of us will be fasting that time. But my point is, friends, if change is coming, start with prayer. And then in the midst of prayer, ask God to help you to choose an attitude of adventure. See, I, I, um, I know that sometimes change comes. And we go, why me, Lord? Why is this happening to me? Sometimes things come that are ugly and unwelcome. Some changes like losing a spouse or a parent or a dear friend of many years to death. Those changes are not welcome at all, are they? And part of legitimate grief, legitimately, is a question that says, why me? Why has this happened to me? I get that. And by the way, the answer is not, why not you? I've heard Christians say that before, and I want to go, that's really bad theology. And that's just poor, that's just not, that's not, that's flippant and callous. But I would say this, when those moments come along and we go, we want to go, why me, Lord? I would ask you to consider getting out of that question as soon as you can. It's okay to go there, but don't stay there. If you stay there, that leads to bitterness. Perhaps some better questions are, why are these new adventures coming? And how can I discover God's best plans for me in the midst of this incredibly sad moment? Because I... I know the stories of dozens, if not hundreds, of people in this church. And sometimes the stories really are sad. I learn them every week. And it just is quite mind-boggling. But can I remind you that in the midst of those days when you go, I just don't want this change. What the scriptures say. Psalm 23, what does the scripture say when things are really ugly? The scripture says, the Lord is your shepherd. He's the one who's going to lead you and guide you out of this mess. He's leading you, the scripture says, to greener pastures. You know what he's doing in the midst of that, friend? He is restoring your soul. Even to the point where I don't know, sometimes you might be able to say, man, before this event happened, I'd sort of become a little bit calloused or a little bit just unaware. But in the midst of this mess, as I'm being led by the Lord, my soul is being restored. And the scripture goes on in Psalm 23 to say that even if the shadow of death, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. And friend, even if that shadow has fallen on you and you've lost someone and it's messed with you and brought change to you in ways that you don't even have words to describe, do not fear. Do not fear because God is with you in the midst of even the most painful changes. The scripture ends with, surely 
the scripture says, surely I am with you. Lord, preparing a table before you in the presence of your enemies. What sweet things God is leading us to in the midst of change. There's a new adventure coming, in other words. That sometimes you can't see it. But if we're people of faith, that's what we believe. Because to that end, we have to acknowledge that change is inevitable. And as you embrace it, hold tightly to people and theology and loosely to things and methods. This plays out in my life and my job here um, this way. Did you know that if I hold tightly to people and theology and loosely to things and methods, did you know there are things around here that happen here that I don't like? (laughs) Some of our methods are not my preference. I'm a 63-year-old baby boomer, and that's significantly different than a 20-year-old Generation Z. That's a completely different way of thinking, and I get that. But I'm aware of this. There are two generations of people behind me, all full of creative, Jesus-loving, mission-driven Christ followers. And how arrogant would it be of me to say, well, my way is the only way? How arrogant would it be? Well, you know, us us baby boomers, we figured it out. And you guys coming behind us, good luck. You ain't going to be as smart as us. Well, what what would be with that? In other words, my dog... Wayne Kent's dog is not in every, is not in every fight. There are some, some conversations about things or methods where my voice or opinion is not necessary at all. Why not? Because I want the generation of my children and the generation of my grandchildren to know Jesus Christ. And so consequently, I'm up for any changes that serve that goal. I'm up for saying whatever, whatever we have to do to make certain that the generation coming behind us, me, comes to know Jesus Christ, then what do we have to do to do that? And, you know, and this idea of holding on to people and theology tightly while holding things and method loosely, has, I think, is what caused our church to be the church we are today. It served me well. And I have to acknowledge that years ago, developing this sort of culture was very, very difficult. There were some struggles along the way for our church to come to this place. And sadly, not everybody could make the shift to holding people and theology tightly and things and methods loosely. But those, who, those of us who figured this out and, and lived our lives this way, I'm convinced those people shaped the impact of this congregation and, and made a significant difference in the way in which we approach our community and the way in which we have an impact around the world. Now, I want to be certain that you hear this very clearly. I want to hold you and our theological positions with a never-ending grip. But how we express our theology in programs or ministry styles, that's up for debate (laughs) virtually every day that I'm in this building. And in some ways, it's up to the next generation to set the trajectory. And I want to say that with a little bit of caution or a little little caveat, because I'm not acquiescing or abdicating my responsibilities. I'm just simply saying that people are more important than my personal preferences 
on any number of issues. My theology will not shift. The church's leaders, we all hold that same determination. Having said all that, though, may I point out to all the generations, not just to the baby boomers or even the builders. Some of you are builders. I get that. Your nostalgia, those of us who are older, our nostalgia as a baby boomer, or your preferences as a Gen Xer or a millennial or a Generation Z, may I point out that no one generation gets to win the day either. We focus first on people on theology, and across the board, all generations have to hold methods and preferences really loosely. Incidentally, uh, can I just do an aside here? When it comes to theology, the things that are important, one of the things that we are always wonder, wondering about is how are you managing your biblical literacy? Are you, if you're going to be, hold on to theology tightly, what do you know about the Bible? So we have an event coming up later in August that you should mark on your calendar. Jody Owens, who is a friend who teaches um, down at Johnson University in Ten Knoxville, Tennessee, we're inviting him to come up and spend a weekend with us. He's coming Friday, Friday August 6th through Sunday, August 8th. And uh, so here's, he is, he's an Old, an Old Testament prof, and his expertise is un helping Christians understand the influence of the Old Testament on the New Testament. And uh, we had such a great response to our Leviticus series, I have invited him to come up and do a little bit more work than what we were able to do in the sermons for that series. And so this is going to be a one-hour session on Friday night and a two-hour session on Saturday morning. And here's the, here's the idea in mind, that the nation of Israel, uh, after 400 years of slavery, speaks of freedom and laughter, and there's lots of dancing and celebration throughout all that period of time. And they had all sorts of feast days. There were, there were, frankly, there's lots of food and making of merriment is a good way to put it. And the joyous occasions always focused on God's prescriptions for sacrifices and worship. And it's all there in the Old Testament, it's, but sometimes our 21st century eyes don't know how to read between the text. Like, what are the meanings of the burnt offerings? And who gets to eat everything that they barbecued, basically? I shouldn't say it quite like that, but that's sort of what's going on. <laughs> Lord, I didn't mean it quite that way, okay? But <laughs> and who gets to have the, eat the Thanksgiving offerings and everything? And how do we get the Old Testament writings, some of which are now moving to maybe 3,500 years old? So, so my, my point is, because we are a congregation that says theology is really important, it's all based on Scripture, maybe you'd plan to be with us that weekend uh, for the Friday evening and Saturday morning seminar. We'd like to have you there, okay? Again, because it'll help you hold tightly to people in theology, loosely to methods and things. And finally today, I need to be concerned with some time. When it comes to embracing change, may I suggest we keep focused on the end goal. Namely, we want to honor Jesus Christ. And I'm reminded again of the Apostle Paul. Uh, you know, this is the guy that went, went north from Jerusalem and then... then couldn't get to where he thought he was going, and God took him somewhere else. And God says, no, you're going to go to Macedonia. And um, he had so many change adventures that we should, one, one week, one weekend, maybe just look at his life of all the crazy things that happened to him over his, all the changes that came. But at the end of his life, this is what he had to say about all the changes that came his way. I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. There is now in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. In other words, when I get to heaven, I, I'm expecting that God's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. But what's fascinating to me, he says, oh, and by the way, it's not only for me, but for all who long for Jesus appearing. In other words, what he's saying is, it's been a long-term marathon. 
Friend, you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's not, it's not a sprint. It's a, a race of constant change and new directions almost daily. And the long-term goal is to honor Jesus. And if change in our lives in this church brings honor to him, then I'm all in. Did you hear that? If change in this, in this church brings honor to Jesus Christ, then I am all in. Our focus around here has always been Jesus Christ. We turn our eyes toward him. And if your present change is of, or setting is uncomfortable, unwelcomed, or awkward, then I get it. But keep your focus on Christ. And um, may I remind you of what a hymn writer once said, asking this question. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. Can, it's like it's just all dark around Maybe you remember part of that song if you've been in the church a while. That song is over 100 years old. It was written in 1918 by a woman by the name of Helen Lamell. She was a composer born in England in 1863. Her father was a Methodist minister. They, they immigrated from England to Wisconsin when she was a little girl. She grew up. She got married. Her husband quickly died, and then she remarried. She's got two little girls, two little girls and in, in 1918 she writes this song. And then... In the midst of all of this of life, something very ironic happens. The lyrics of the song go on to speak about turning your eyes upon Jesus. But what's fascinating is she began to go blind. Here's a woman who writes, turn your eyes upon Jesus, and yet she's going blind. And her second husband didn't want anything to do with her, given the fact he didn't want to be married to a handicapped woman. So he left her. Left her alone, now, now widowed once, divorced once, two kids. All sorts of unwelcome changes. And yet she's the lady who is able to say, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. All those changes in the light of his glory and grace. That's the end goal, folks, that we would focus on Jesus Christ. And so to that end, I'm inviting you to prepare for communion with me. And um, Jesus didn't have this at the Last Supper. He didn't have this little thing like this, okay? But I'm aware of this, that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This is my new promise. Let's drink this in remembrance of me, because this, this, is, this is new life to you. So here's how we're going to do this today. I'm going to invite you at your leisure to uh, simply open either end and in the quietness of this moment, eat and drink and thank God for the change that Jesus Christ himself was willing to take. Think about it. He's, he's in heaven and he says, the mission of people is so important. I'm going to go to earth. And he died for us. 
So as you think and pray about that, I suggest that this could be a moment when you think about what changes are coming your way and have come and might be reminders of the way in which God is working in your life. And we're just going to be quiet here in the room for just a few moments. If you're joining us online, some quiet times. I'm going to play this keyboard for just a moment or two. And uh, then we'll go and join together in worship. But for right now, you take at your leisure and spend some time in prayer. <laughs>